Anyone over the age of 60 is invited to join Copper Country Senior Meals at our congregate meal sites that are located throughout Houghton and Keweenaw County. These meals are affordable, nutritious, delicious, and maybe most importantly, a great experience for those who attend. You'll make new friends, meet some incredible volunteers and staff who put the meal on, and ultimately find yourself a community of people you'll create almost a family-like relationship with. The only qualification for this is to be 60 or over. Learn more at coppercountryseniormeals.org or by calling 483-1155. Welcome back to segment two of Copper Country Today, brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation. You can learn more about them at phfgive.org. They have announced the 26 different organizations that are going to take part in the Giving Tuesday campaign coming up, so you can find out about them there as well and how you can make a donation once that donation window opens up in November. It's an exciting program, and uh, please support that if you can. We continue our look at the upcoming November election, taking a bit of a break here from talking with candidates to talk about the three ballot proposals that uh, the statewide ballot proposals that voters are going to be facing. There are some local ballot issues as well, and we'll be covering those on our Keweenaw Report newscasts over the next few weeks. But there are three proposals on the Michigan ballot, and I welcome into the program uh, Dr. Faith Morrison from the Copper Country League of Women Voters. She follows these types of issues for them and recently did a presentation about the three proposals. So, Faith, welcome to the program. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for, thanks for having me, Todd. And before I forget about it, because your the the program that you did will go far greater into depth than we'll be able to do in this segment here today. If people are interested in learning more about these proposals, how do they find access to the program that you did? I know it's online. Yes, it's on YouTube, and the link to the YouTube is at the League of Women Voters of the Copper Country website, which is lwvccmi.org. And you can link from there, including to a handout, with which I'm going to be referring to as I try to talk about this with Todd. Well, and this is several of these, a couple of these at least, have brought about some real controversy. And I am seeing in the advertising and promotion for both sides of them some things that are not necessarily terribly accurate. So our goal here is to try to sort through all of that, present an accurate picture of what is in these proposals. The League of Women Voters, we should say, does endorse uh, all three proposals, um, but our goal here is not to promote the League of Women Voters endorsements. Our goal here is to simply try to present the facts so that you as a listener and a voter can make a decision about which way you wish to vote on them. So That's correct. So let's start with... Well, let's do them in the the great numerical tradition. Let's start with Proposal 1. Proposal 1 would, first of all, change the way term limits in Michigan work, and secondly, add some, but as I'm reading about it, not a ton, of transparency to election campaigns. That's correct. The, The sad truth is that in Michigan, we rank 50 out of 50 in transparency. Yeah. There are only two states that don't require their elected or appointed officials to disclose financial information, and Michigan and Idaho are those two states. So the first um, piece of 22-1, transparency and term limits, is transparency. And we are unable to identify anybody on the record against the transparency provisions. So that seems not controversial. Well, I I think we can identify the state legislature. 
um, as being against them, because this is the one proposal that was put on the ballot by the state legislature. And as true. it came to them, they watered these restrict these restrictions down. Yes. They, they backed it off. Yes. So I guess the state legislature could be counted as somebody who's at least nominally against them. They didn't want as much disclosure as was originally included. Yes, that's true. Let me give some context on that. Well, all three of the ballot proposals in 2022 are changes to the Constitution. And there are two kinds of ballot proposals that can appear, um, uh, changes to the Constitution and initiation of legislation. And all three of these are changes to the Constitution. And as you noted, Todd, uh, the usual way we think about these things is that there are a whole bunch of petition gatherers out there and they gather whatever the re- requisite number of signatures is and then it goes on the ballot. And that's how proposals two and three got on the ballot. Yes. But proposal one got on the ballot by the other path, which is two-thirds majority of the legislature had to agree to put it on the ballot to amend the Constitution. And that's what happened. But there was some horse trading yes. in that process, which you alluded to. So yes, the uh, we'll, we'll, I don't know whether we'll move from 50th position up or not. Hopefully we will. I guess Idaho will take 50 and we'll at least go to 49. 49 yeah. <laughs> but we may move hard. We're like higher. the Tigers. We're going to finish a game out of last place. <laughs> you know, we have 50 states, and the 50 states can set their own rules, and things related to elections are one of those things that are left up to the states. And so, so yes, things vary from state to state, but it is better than... It's better than the current state for us to have the transparency rules that we currently have. Yeah, it would be at least a step forward on that. And uh, I agree. Everybody that I've talked to in Lansing has said, we're terrible at this. We're just awful at this. We need to do something. Maybe more needs to be done in the future, but at least this is something. And as for the term limitations, Mm. I don't think I have ever encountered an issue in which I have seen so much irrationality over the years. Uh, Term limits, again, I talk to people in Lansing who cover state government down there who are in state government. Nobody believes that our current term limitation system is working. And yet there are all of these people out there who say, term limits, you got to get those people out of there. Uh, Basically, what I'm hearing from Lansing is the only thing term limits have done has been to embolden and empower lobbyists and bureaucrats. Uh, Greg Markinen, a couple of weeks ago on the show, said he has had bureaucrats come to talk to his face and say, you know what, I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to be here longer than you are, so the heck with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, it um, it's a controversial issue. I would frame it as saying that there's probably no perfect uh, way of doing this. It's not perfect to have no term limits, uh, especially if you're in the party that doesn't have the uh, legislator with the highest seniority uh, right. in your party. <laughs> And uh, there's nothing perfect about having term limits when you have really good people that you'd like to have again. Um, so I like to say, this is my personal opinion, I think we should probably change them from time to time. Because what happens is what you're, you're talking, your friends in uh, Lansing tell you that uh, the lobbyists that are, are the ones who can really see the pros and cons. Well, the lobbyists' job is to promote what they're paid to promote. And so they look at the rules and then they angle the rules. And yeah. when the rules say there's a term limit, they can see the angle that they should 
uh, they should just only be nice to people until their term limit is up. Um, there are a number of countries that have a single term of office for their president, and it's not great because you're lame duck the day you're elected. Well, and that's the problem we have in the legislature now. Theoretically, depending on you know how the election cycle is gone, theoretically half of the Michigan State Senate is beholden to no voter at all. Right. So I, I, I would urge people not to think in the perfect um, what we have right now since 1992 are term limits for the members of the um, legislature. Uh, if you're in the House, it's uh, six years. If you're in the Senate, it's eight years. That's our current law. If we don't pass Proposal 1, that's what the law will be. So yes, you will not stay. be getting rid of term limits. The new um, proposed uh, Proposal 1 says 12 years and out, doesn't matter which um, of the two legislative bodies you're a member of. So we currently have in the 110th district, Greg Markinen, and he's running for his third term. If he would to succeed in the election, that would be his last one under the current rule. And he would get more if it's under the new rules. And also with Ed McBroom, he's up for his second term of office as the Senator of the 38th district. And it would, if he succeeds, it would be his second and out under the current rules, but he would get more. No, he will not. Oh, they, they, as I read it, and again, this gets a little confusing, as I read it, at least members of the state Senate, and as he has told me uh, in my interview a while back, members of the state Senate will not get an additional term if this passes. Now, the House may be, but, the, uh, but at least what Ed McBroom told me in an interview that we did several weeks ago is that he would not be able to run again. Well, that's a subtlety I haven't looked at. I'm looking at uh, the summary that I have in front of me, and it says... It would replace the term limits with a 12-year limit, but it does have this phrase that perhaps you're referring to, except a person elected to the Senate in 2022, so that would be specifically uh, yeah, that would be if, he would, if he would yes. win, may be elected the number of times allowed when that person became a candidate. So it sounds like there might be, for that specific case... Uh, uh, an exception being yeah, made. Yeah, okay. that, and I Thanks think that, for that correction. Yeah, to and me. I think that was put in just because mm -hmm. they, you know, those guys even don't want but going to look to like the, the future, ones who are voting for themselves. But going so. to the future, uh, so that's a that's a, uh, a an addendum at the end there for just the election coming up right now. So you're right. It sounds to me like it would exempt uh, Senator McBroom, but it wouldn't exempt his replacement to take three terms. Right. You could do three terms in the Senate. You could do up to six terms in the House. and I have Or you could mix and match. And you can mix so and match. So the proposal one allows the mixing and matching, which is not currently part of our term limits. And I've heard people say, well, you're extending term limits. Well, no, you're technically not. You're technically reducing them from 14 years to 12 years. Well, and but you could extend the number of terms that people spend in one, of the, in one house or the but other. But people do point out that the 14 is only in the most um, uh, uh, advantageous yeah, lining of the terms. So yeah. depending on the terms of the person who's already in the seat, you don't get to suddenly have an election. You have to wait till yeah. that individual is elected. But as much as 14 is going to no more than 12. So that's proposal one. Proposal two is the one that um, I think perhaps we know the least about at this point and are hearing the least about, and that is an expansion of voting rights that would be added to the Michigan State Constitution. This one is a little bit vague in terms of, uh, it, it's, it's, you know, you, it, this is my favorite, actually. Is so. it? Okay. <laughs> so okay, promote, and, it, and it is my least favorite. Okay. Promote so. the Vote uh, 2022 is, uh, 
is a part two of Promote the Vote 2018. So in 2018, voters passed of resoundingly um, a change to our constitution to add no reason absentee balloting, straight party voting um, on, in, on election day registration and imposed a statewide audit and a bunch of other things. So those changes to the voting laws have been uh, already implemented. They're the law of the land. And in 2020 spring, when we had our primary, half of the elect the ballots, um, excuse me, not in tw not 2022, um, half of the ballots in our primaries were by absentee. Yeah, people have really embraced so that concept. When you think about it, the, the previous method of show up on a Tuesday, everybody works on a Tuesday, most of yeah. us work on a Tuesday, show up on a Tuesday, depending on how many... People in line wait or don't wait up here. We don't wait too long, but in a lot of places in Michigan, we wait a long time, and then and then vote. and um, And if you haven't registered, you're out of luck. But now you can vote absentee. You can show up on the day at the clerk's office and register to vote. So the the one that is on the ballot um, was put on the ballot with uh, six hundred and sixty nine thousand nine hundred seventy two signatures, which is one hundred fifty eight percent of what they needed. Would have been a record, except for one other proposal. Except for proposal three, that's <laughs> correct. And the highlight issues on there are um, ballot drop boxes will be required. Um, and nine days of early, vo early voting in person will be added, and it will make harassing uh, voters uh, a violation of the state constitution. And there's other things too, but those are the ones I think are worth really um, accentuating. I had uh, Jennifer Kelly, the Houghton County clerk, on the program several weeks ago. She has the same concern I do about this proposal, and that is the nine days of early voting. I have no idea how Duncan Township is going to pull this off, and nobody has been able to explain who's going to pay for it, how it's going to be staffed, and how these little townships that we have here in the Copper Country, where they may only have office hours for four or five hours a week, are going to sustain nine days of in-person early voting. I don't know how it's going to happen. I also don't know how it's going to happen. That is uh, that is an issue of having uh, an interpretation of what qualifies as that in-person voting. I haven't read anything about it, so I can't shine any light on the details. But that is that is an issue. So the the support for it is to make voting more accessible to people and for those who would rather vote in person to really feel that their vote happened and uh, they had their hands on it, they handed it to a clerk, it would allow that. But we can do that already, can't we? Absentee. I mean, I can, I can go to my clerk's office tomorrow. Yep. I can get an absentee ballot. If it's been I printed. Can <laughs> <laughs> I can I can put it out on the counter. I can fill it out. I can sign it. I can hand it back to them. I can do that any day once well, your, the absentee ballots come out. Objection to the small clerks uh, has the same flaw because yeah. of few days of the week that you could do that in right. person with your clerk. So right. so although that, but I, I'm wondering why we need to layer another thing on that's basically redundant to something that people can already do. Well, it depends on how much confidence you have in absentee ballot voting. Um, during the time, the first elections after 2018, when we got no reason absentee ballot, it used to be you had to be elderly, infirm, or out of town to vote. 
So then we started voting absentee, and there were there were people who were not very confident that that was the case. There are people who received invitations to apply for an absentee ballot, and they thought, they're sending me ballots in the mail. They sent me six ballots in the mail when what they got was duplicate, either applications yeah. or invita- invitations to um make their own application for but nobody got more than one absentee ballot i have had conversations also with yeah. uh, clerk jennifer kelly and she assures us and and can name all the processes that keep that from happening so the the in-person balloting is to address some of those concerns and frankly if you go back to having elections only on a tuesday uh, in November, it is easier on the clerks. So the clerk's job, I'm, I recently was trained as a poll watch, um, poll worker, and I hope to do that next year. Um, and the rules are much more complicated now that they're, they're, they're more open to making it easier to vote. So it's an argument. Uh, so perhaps the voters who are making up their mind on proposal two will have to weigh whether the trouble is worth the added uh, convenience and opportunity. And whether we can trust the legislature to step in afterwards and address exactly how that nine days of voting is going to be paid for and how it's actually going to That's right. going to look. Talking with Faith Morrison from the League of Women Voters, we're running down the three proposals, statewide proposals, that will be on the November ballot. And uh, now we come to the one that has... Has caused certainly the most conversation across the state of Michigan. Proposal three, which would ensure abortion rights for women in the state. I have heard a lot of misinformation about this. Give me the thumbnail sketch about what it does. Well, let me start by saying that uh, Proposal 3 was uh, made its way to the ballot with over 730,000 um, signatures, which was 172%. As you pointed out, Proposal 2 got 158% of what they needed, and Proposal 3 got 172% of what they needed. And this, the intention, I will say, of Proposal 3 is to return abortion rights to the pre-Dobbs versus, versus Jackson Women's Health Supreme Court decision of June 22 to what they were before that. And um, the what it actually does is it, it amends the, the Constitution to put uh, in there that, uh, that a woman has a right to make decisions about um, her, her pregnancy health up to the point of fetal viability. So the word fetal viability is introduced in that way. Typically um, 23, 24 weeks. It is unspecified yeah, in they Proposal don't specify 3, it. and so that would be up to the legislature and the courts depending on what, what actually uh, bears. I'm not an expert on the legal parts. Uh, but the some of the things that are going to be put in if Proposal 3 pass is a new individual right to reproductive freedom, the right to make and carry out all decisions about pregnancy, such as prenatal care, childbirth, postpartum care, contraception, sterilization, abortion, miscarriage management, and infertility. So it is, when I've read about the implications of passing Proposal 3, uh, it, those who are who are not simply trying to advocate one way or the other will say that it will depend on the courts the exact interpretation of that language because when Roe versus Wade was the reason that we had abortion rights in Michigan and in the entire country, it was a right to privacy, which was based on the 14th Amendment and the freedom of all citizens from government interference. 
So if a citizen has medical care that needs to be discussed with their medical care provider, it's not the government's business what goes on in that case. And that right to privacy was the legal basis that um, held sway for all these decades that Roe versus Wade provided women to have these rights. Once that was struck down, there was no protection for this, these sorts of conversations. And so this new language, uh, which it's impossible to put the exact language of, of Roe versus Wade into the state constitution, but the new language is um, targeted at more, more specifically at the women's health care decisions that the advocates want to protect. So um, if it passes, it is certain that the 1931 vote law that you've heard a bit about that outlaws abortion would in fact be no longer constitutional in the state of Michigan and that law would be invalidated. But there is some language in here that uh, has caused some controversy that says basically it would invalidate all rules regarding abortion. And what I'm hearing from that is some people saying, well, that means that anybody will be able to provide an abortion and blah, 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 blah. And I'm not sure that that's really the case. I agree with you that it's not really the case. So um, it's very easy for advocates and people on social media and whoever to say this is what something means in the law. I mean, just think back when Roe versus Wade was the uncontested law of the land, people said, well, there you go, that's what the law is. And they said that, and it, it's the law until our processes are, are changed. And so there was a new um, uh, uh, challenge and, and the per current Supreme Court made the decision they made. So at the end of the day, in the United States of America, legislators make laws and the laws are interpreted uh, in the case that there's a challenge by courts. And so the constitutionality of other laws other than the 1931 law is going to determine on the courts. There is no, even though somebody may assert that uh, some things like parental consent or 24-hour waiting period would go away, there, there is no way to know that until the courts actually decide based on our legal processes. And the legislature still has a role in this because the, it, they, give, they are given specific ability to regulate abortions after that fetal viability Correct. point. So this is, this is the language uh, of the summary, allow state to regulate abortion after fetal viability. So anybody who's concerned about the day before a natural childbirth, uh, a murder being created, they can just rest assured that that is not allowed if proposed Proposal three passes. Um, it will not prohibit if medically needed to protect a patient's life or physical or mental health. So those are the other protections of um, of proposal three. Part of this comes because we've had some problems in the past in Michigan with people writing constitutional amendments too specifically. If you write a constitutional amendment that has specifics in it and it's passed, the only way you can go back and adjust it is with another constitutional amendment. That's so true. when you write a constitutional amendment, there has to be, it has to, you have to paint with broad brush because otherwise you find yourself like we have with the term limits at this point. All of a sudden we want to make a small adjustment in them. You have to go back with another constitutional amendment. Yeah, I would argue that that's endemic in constitution writing um, because uh, as a woman, uh, there were plenty of places in the U.S. Constitution where it told the rights of people uh, that was interpreted as not including women, uh, and it's still the case. So the 19th Amendment, in which women fought and won the right to vote, was to stop people from interpreting the word person, 
and voter and citizen as only a man. And yeah. it had to be very specific. So you're right that um, the U.S. Constitution is satisfyingly brief, actually. Yes. It's a, it's a very absorbable document. But for instance, the right to a well-regulated militia sounds like a very simple and general phrase, and yet it's interpreted as the right to a much wider right to owning and uh, having firearms. Yes. So that has been up to the courts. So we, as a nation, have been satisfied with some general language and then leaving it up to the courts. But if the courts, the way the system is meant to work, in my understanding, is if we don't feel that, like, for instance, women having the right to vote is the appropriate way to interpret uh, citizen in the Constitution, then we have to put something in to fix it. So I believe that that's a way to look at Proposal 3 as well, which is to say that if a, if a woman has a, a troublesome, much-beloved, much-wanted pregnancy and needs to talk about the facts of the medical knowledge of what's going on with her doctor, she and her doctor should not be afraid of a felony conviction. Yeah, and we should note the flip side of this is that opponents of this feel that that unborn fetus is a life. Mm -hmm. And it's always been one of the one of the problems with this argument. It's not an apples to apples argument. Right. Uh, those who favor choice look at it as a rights situation. Right. Those who uh, favor pro-life look at this as a criminal situation right. they, they perceive the fetus as a child you kill the child you right. and that's not different from um when the constitution was first written and those who weren't white were not given full rights of personhood either yeah. and there were religious foundations that were made to say that my religion says that this is true of people yeah. who are not of my particular ethnic background and so it's not new to us to struggle over what is life or not and we encourage everybody to get informed and vote. And we do have to wrap this up. So thank you so much, Faith Morrison, for coming in and thank helping to parse out these three, these three uh, things. And we'll be back in a moment on Copper Country Today.